You have one unheard message. Welcome to the Voicemail Poems podcast for winter 2017. I'm Logan Kier, your host and one of the editors for Voicemail Poems. Today I am joined by one of our contributors, Allison Whipple, whose poem Having Papaya kicked off our winter issue. Welcome, Allison. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. I'm super excited you're here too. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Right now, I am about halfway through my MFA in poetry through the University of Texas at El Paso's online program. I also currently co-edit the Texas Poetry Calendar, and I'm the author of two poetry chapbooks. Nice. So today we are going to discuss three outstanding poems from the winter 2017 issue. Allison selected two of her favorites, so we're going to talk about those and the final poem for today will be Having Papaya, and we'll, we'll talk to Allison about her own poem. So first up is Mixed Girl Anarchy by Jasmine Delavu. Hi, my name is Jasmine Delavu. I'm calling from Cascade, Colorado. My poem is called Mixed Girl Anarchy. Where we come from is closely related to how we die out. Some sprinkle into ashtrays, in Cuban bars with topless girls and dry-aged tobacco. Some just die out, much like infertile wombs, much like stolen lunchboxes, much like the first time you cut all your hair off and your mom doesn't talk to you for a while. Our parents all look and speak a little different, and our skins are pierced up and shaped all a little different, rosemary blood or pressed linen blood. But we all saved our prom corsages. We all saved our baby teeth. Some of us just swallowed them up whole, but I know that my feet came out first, then my heart, then a bunch of dried grass from my family's graveyard, then all my blood, all at once. It smelled dry and forgotten in the room. My sister was born hands first, prayer style, asking to be saved by white doctors with blue gloves. Her lungs were filled with June bugs, crunchy and dead. We saved them in a jar for two years until she needed to make a trade. When I disappeared, they're going to slip me back into the seawater where my Theano family will coat me in sand. My flowers will all come back. My sister is going to quietly walk into the snow before the night stars explode without warning. She is going to rewrite her brown anarchy. Really what drew me into this poem was that very first sentence, where we come from is closely related to how we die out. I really identify as a poet of place. I'm really interested in the idea of where we come from and what is home and how we define that. And so that just really hooked me on a very visceral level. Yeah, that first line got me too. And this poem has so many great specific details that build that place. Absolutely. One thing I also noticed upon re-listening to this poem, that it starts invoking that place, but really this is a very, in many ways, placeless poem. We have all of this detailed imagery of uh, you know, the pressed linen blood or the saved baby teeth and the baby teeth that are swallowed up whole, but we don't have a lot of 
really location-based imagery. So in many ways, this poem is as much about displacement as it is about where you're from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it kind of has that like the the cycles of sort of family and nature and all of that. We have we have things that are really human mixed in with stuff that is very like distinctly nature. You know, the dried grass from my family's graveyard and and all of that. And some of that nature imagery is incredibly surreal. The sister being born and her lungs were filled up with June bugs, crunchy and dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, this poem surprised me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Voicemail poems is interesting in that your primary experience of the poem is, of course, the voicemail, what you hear. Yeah. And but we we publish the text too, and the in the text of this is really the the format of it is interesting. She mm-hmm. has these sentences. That there's not really line breaks so much as like groups of sentences. Yeah when I was narrowing down the poems that I really responded to, the the initial impression of course came through voice, but it was interesting to be able to look at the poems Uh, in my MFA. I've been doing a lot of work with blurring of genre and, you know, what makes a poem versus what makes an essay. So there's something very um, essay like about the way this is structured, but at the same time, then we have those just brief, brief sentences that really pick up the pace rosary, rosary blood or pressed linen blood, but we all saved our prom corsages. And then we go back into those longer sentences. So were there other things that you that really struck you about this poem? So I got um, very interested in the undercurrents of colonialism running through here and the way that the colonialist practices sort of undermine and run alongside the cycles of this family's life. I looked up the, uh, the word uh, Taino. That's an indigenous peoples from the uh, greater Antilles before and during the time of Columbus. So with all of the issues with colonialism that have happened in the Caribbean, including in the States, you know, once you know, uh, you know, what that word means and what kind of group that belongs to, that one little detail really casts the shadow of colonialism all over this whole poem with that one word. Yeah, it struck me too. I I think especially because of the placement of that detail it's sort of near the end and it's it's another one of those kind of surreal moments slip me back into the seawater and coat me in sand absolutely um and i i thought that was um going back to that that family and those really ancient roots i love that placement especially after the uh my sister was born hands first prayer style asking to be saved by white doctors with blue gloves. You really have to sort of know a lot of your history to really understand how deep the issues of this, the social issues of this poem go. But thinking of all the issues with a very white medical establishment and the way that people of color, especially women, have been treated by that establishment, so powerful. I, I, I love how it really ends on that impulse toward rewriting one's life and going forward with one's life. Yeah, that's awesome. This is a great poem. I'm really glad we got this one. Oh my God, it's amazing. Jasmine Delevue received her Bachelor of Arts degree in Visual and Performing Arts from the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. She has shown work in numerous exhibitions, including the student show X presented at the Gallery of Contemporary Art. She was also the curator for the Spring Zine and Handmade Book Show in 2016. Her passions lie in documenting the personal and quiet experience of mixed Latinas. You can find out more about Jasmine on Facebook at Art by Jasmine Delevue. 
So next up we have Junk Drawer by Chris Reif. Hey, this is Chris Reif calling from Chicago, Illinois. This is Junk Drawer. A fork with three tines, cracked rubber bands, snips of string in varying lengths, four nuts, seven bolts, six bits of metal, unidentified, found oxidizing in dew. A postcard from where you wish I were. Phillips head screwdriver, 20 flathead screws. Expired coupons, expired aspirin, expired cheese powder, and here are speech patterns I picked up when you were. Here, a nickel from the year your father was born. Scrap fabric, nails for finishing. I spend hours in the drawer, though I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't because I know I'll find what I am, what I am looking for, the parts of you I saved intentionally, parts of you I meant to throw away, parts of me I can no longer place, and parts of me that had no place to start. Again, what I'm noticing is that it's really like one specific line or maybe a specific phrase that really cements a poem for me. For junk drawer, it's the fourth line. A postcard from where you wish I were. Just the idea of, again, travel and distance and displacement. That fourth line really just got me in a very emotional place. (laughs) Well, that fourth line, too, I mean, we open on objects. And the fourth line is where we get you and I. Yeah. Yeah, we move from the, the little details to that sort of larger emotional metaphor. I just love a really well-crafted list poem. I think list poems are incredibly difficult to do in a compelling way. And I think that Chris Reif here has some just really incredible, you know, specific images. And, and he weaves that in so well with sort of the larger extended emotional metaphor. It's really, this is one of the most masterful list poems I've seen in a while. I think the mix of really concrete objects with abstractions is what makes that work. And there's not, I think the balance of that is right. Yeah. And And he doesn't have, he doesn't have a set pattern um, of concrete images versus uh, abstractions. He really shakes it up. He keeps you guessing. He doesn't let you get lulled into a, a rhythm. Yeah. Well, and, and certain concrete things have like repeated words that give you a more of an abstract association, expired coupons, expired aspirin, expired cheese powder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, does cheese powder ever really expire though? That is, I think the great philosophical question. <laughs> uh, I also, one of my favorite uh, concrete images is a nickel from the year your father was born. And that to me is so telling because it really conveys the spirit of the relationship. When certain things are presented to us in a way that they like, they don't fit together, the line that's Phillips head screwdriver, 20 flathead screws. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that one's just so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way these lines are, are crafted too, I think is really interesting. We have traditional line breaks. Mm-hmm. But we also have the slashes. I saw the slashes as a substitute for the, the comma. But I thought that was visually way more interesting than a comma because, again, I think these slashes make you stop harder than a comma would. Yeah. When they create sort of like a separation to where you think about each of those individual pieces. Mm -hmm. I think especially in in that line that really got you a postcard from where Mm -hmm. I wish I were. Right. That makes me look at you wish I were individually. Yes, absolutely. Um, Another thing that really 
drew me into this poem was the way the, the junk the junk drawers seem to sort of in many ways take on the qualities of a, like a labyrinth almost where you're you're going through and you're looking at all these things and many of them are familiar things but at the same time like you're kind of lost yeah. and it's hard to it's hard to find your way out of it especially because toward the end you know the speaker reiterates i know i shouldn't i know i shouldn't <laughs> yeah well, I, th- I think you have to be in a place where you're ready to go through all the things and yes. like generally get rid of stuff. And I think it's really, I think this poem is written from the moment where the speaker isn't ready to do it. No, and they're, but they're trying because like sometimes you try because you really want, you're, you're like, well, I've decided that today is the day I would really like to move on with my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chris Reif is an aspiring human being, a semifinalist for the 2016 Gwendolyn Brooks Open Mic Award. He is a writer and performer based in Chicago. His work has been published in Denver Quarterly, Hobart, Ghost Ocean, CAP, and other places. You can find him online at chrisreifwrites.tumblr.com. So the last one we're going to talk about for today is Allison's Having Papaya. This is Allison Whipple calling from Austin, Texas, and this poem is called Having Papaya. The cleaver splits skin. I break the fruit along its fault line. Do not anticipate dozens of black seeds slick as eyes, at least twice the size of row, at least tenfold the size of the pencil point eggs embalmed in my body waiting for a chance I forestall month after month. Folk medicine says eating these seeds would destroy an unwanted life. They buckle under my teeth little bubbles of pepper, bitterness I do not expect from such sweet flesh. I could down them all. I could dry them, grind them, season my food. I could lay them to waste down the drain. I could plant them, condemn them to death in a soil too hot and dry. I think a lot of your word choices really jumped out at me. I had to look up the meaning of the word row. So we get row when the speaker is comparing the sizes of things. So she compares the the seeds and says at least twice the size of row, at least tenfold the size of pencil point eggs embalmed in my body. So row is a mass of eggs contained in the ovary of a fish. And I just, I did not know that. <laughs> I'm a big fan of sushi, so I've, you know, eaten some roe in my life. <laughs> okay. So it's something it's something else that you've eaten. That's fascinating. Yes. I love that comparison of of like seeds and eggs and then the speaker's own eggs, like all of these things that have that potential to make life. And then I was really struck in that in that set of lines by the word embalmed. I was reading a lot of Anne Sexton around the time I wrote this poem, and <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to Anne Sexton, but I feel like the fact that I was reading a lot of Anne Sexton informed a lot of my approach to this poem. Yeah, that makes sense. The sort of the balance of a sort of life making in darkness. Right? Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that has always attracted me to her work is is there's that power, but there's also that darkness, and there's some degree of ambivalence, which is that ambivalence is something I was definitely trying to capture in this poem. Well, it seems like the, I mean, the speaker talks about a chance I first stall month after month and immediately goes into this folk medicine says eating these seeds 
would destroy an unwanted life. And the very next thing is the speaker eats them. Yes. And I thought, I thought that was really, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I thought that was really powerful to, to have that moment of consideration about folk medicine, like what, what they say, right. Mm-hmm. About, yeah. about what this would do. It is an ambivalent poem, but it doesn't spend too much time on, on they say, or on what these actions mean. Like there's no judgment there. There's not really like a hesitation. Like I think I thought that was really powerful and useful. I I don't know that writing about like a papaya I slice in half in my kitchen is really a nature poem per se. Um, But I know that one of the things that attracts me to a lot of nature oriented writing uh, are pieces that do not try to make some moralizing, you know, deep moralizing judgment or deep philosophical point about nature because you know what happens you know, the city floods and the city floods and there's not really we can't necessarily make a huge philosophical point from that it's tragic and it's horrible and people get displaced but you know that's that's the world and uh, one thing i've been trying to engage with is trying to engage with a lot of the natural world and uh, a lot of these other difficult subjects without necessarily trying to have a point <laughs> i think if we are looking at this as a as a nature poem all of these seeds, so to speak, and that act of, of of the speaker making the choice to break this apart, this the speaker making the choice to swallow these things, and then the litany of I coulds in the end. Mm-hmm. Like I think that juxtaposition of, of things that are sort of natural things that happen versus the agency of the speaker is really interesting. The conditionals for me really try to uh, just harken back to that idea of the embalmed eggs and that ambivalence. Like, what am I going to do with all of this potential that is here with these seeds embalmed right in the middle of this fruit? The final lines really got me. I could plant them, condemn them to death in a soil too hot and dry, sort of the futility there. And and you mentioned, you know, being a poet of place. Mm-hmm. We're both Texans. I, I can, I mean, I can totally imagine planting some seeds and being like, good luck. <laughs> I've definitely done that. I've gotten real ambitious, not with these papayas, but definitely with other things. And it's just, this is this is not a climate where certain things are really going to grow all that well. That's, you know, true of everywhere. Yeah. Well, I guess that's really interesting too. Like in the, in the big picture of this poem is like something that's sort of out of place in this environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I keep coming back to embalmed that the speaker makes that observation about her own body. I guess that that too kind of harkens back to maybe the something that seems sort of out of place in the environment. Right. You know, this is an incredibly personal poem I've written without trying to get like too directly personal in the poem. But, you know, you're in your 30s and your friends are having kids and you yourself are not especially super stoked about having kids. But on the other <laughs> hand, like you go home and everyone in your family's like, so... right yeah (laughs) you know even if it's something you yourself don't especially want like i feel like for a lot of women in their 30s like it's still like this weird thing they have to reconcile with even though they're they know what they want out of life right which which brings back that that idea about agency that the speaker is making choices that of course the speaker has every right to make like there Mm -hmm. there's there's no static about these choices in the poem as there shouldn't be i really liked that folk medicine line maybe that's sort of like a personal thing like as a poet i'm really interested in 
in story, like in mm-hmm. the things that people tell themselves or tell others, whether or not those things are true at all. That was actually the hardest <laughs> line. That was the hardest line for me. Like I like, cause I really wanted to convey that. And I really wanted to convey that the, like this like warning came out of a folk tradition and I didn't want to be like, well, folk medicine's wrong. Cause like there's so much of folk medicine that's clearly onto something. Right. Um, <laughs> sure. But at the same time, like, yeah, it was, I wanted to convey sort of like that tradition and that history it reminded me of like what you were saying, sort of those, the expectations surrounding this act for this speaker. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really useful. Yeah. I feel like the, that sort of toward that middle of the poem, that's really, that gets into the heart of different types of expectations, whether they're old expectations or contemporary societal expectations. And that all really did come together there. Tell me a little more about your chapbooks. Do they have things in common or are they totally different? I think the thing they have in common is they're both grounded in place. But other than that, there's some pretty wide differences. So the first one, we're smaller than we think we are. That's very based in Texas. It was published in 2013 after I'd been in Texas for five years. And so a lot of that po- that chapbook is just about the process of me starting to make a life in Texas and starting to feel at home in Texas because I've never lived anywhere else except Ohio and Texas. Coming to the world like that is grounded more in Ohio. The first half of that is reconciling my parents' marriage. And the second half of that was reconciling my own marriage and subsequent divorce and the ways in which those two things might have been interrelated. Are you working on something now? I'm starting to sift through things I've written through my through my program thus far and uh, think about, you know, an arc for my thesis collection that I will be starting at some point this year. Well, good. That's exciting. So um, for those of you that want to learn more about Allison, maybe pick up one of those chat books, you can visit allisonmwhipple.com. The music featured on this podcast is by TrueKey. For more, visit soundcloud.com slash TrueKey. Voicemail Poems is published quarterly. The next deadline is March 15th. Check it out at voicemailpoems.org. If you love what you hear on this podcast, please consider becoming a contributor to our Patreon at patreon.com slash voicemailpoems and reviewing us on iTunes. Thank you so much, Allison, for co-hosting today. Thank you, Logan. I had a great time talking poetry with you. Me too. This was fun. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.